Currently Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hello. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about what no one else in the mastering community talks about. That's silky smooth. Ooh. That nice little crispy, the little, like the, you, got, you got the little bit of air. Mm-hmm. You ever have like the perfectly fried piece of like fried chicken? Yes. And it's just like, like extra crisp. Yes. But then like there's that nice meat inside. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like we're talking about like how nice the crispiness is. <laughs> and we're talking about top end today. Top end, baby. Sizzle. And why sometimes yeah. it's smooth. Mm. Why sometimes it's silky. Mm. Why sometimes it's creamy. Mm. Why sometimes it's intentionally left poppy, punchy, mm. or bright. Wow. And have fun with that. Mm. In post <laughs> that alliteration. I'm going to make this extra bright this whole episode. Oh, God. Please do not. <laughs> I'm going to turn on air on this little, like, focus right thing I have. Make sure your little pre is on high Z. Mm-hmm. Using that. <laughs> if you use the SSL. But first, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Housekeeping! Did you know, Sam... That after, like, general marketing says that after seven impressions Mm. that you normally are able to start seeing a little bit of a positive uptick in what you've been advertising. Yes. This is episode seven of season four. Uh Uh-oh. So maybe we can see a little bit of uptick in what is about to be kept up with the house. Housekeeping. Well, friends and family... For a limited time, right now, you can go like, subscribe, heart, favorite, comment, and if this is the seventh time we've done this, you all better go do this, because this is your chance. This is statistically when you're going to go do it, so go do it now. Pause the episode, go subscribe to our podcast, then come back and hit play. Or comment or review. Or comment or review, whichever. Just do something. Even if you hate it, leave a comment because that actually boosts our podcast still. The robots don't know. All they know is it's a comment. I think. That's what I think. And uh, yeah, if you could go like, subscribe, comment, and share this, really share it with a friend or a foe, that would be great. We don't care. We don't care. Just share it, please. For the love of the podcast, share the episode. <laughs> I'm good with the people. What's the whole like old quote like uh my like my friend's enemy is your friend or whatever it is? The friend of my friend is your I don't I can't remember. The whatever. enemy is the inner me. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I screwed that up. Anyway. I think that's our housekeeping. Yeah, I think so as well. Also, yeah, keep the keep the music rolling, Sam. Okay, rolling. It's like, yeah, back up, backing up. If you need a mastering engineer, oh yeah, I happen to know two of them <laughs> who never promo their personal services. <laughs> sounds weird <laughs> on their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you need any mastering, Sam does a lovely job of putting the. The nice little twinkle on the top of your masters. The sizzle business. Keeps me found. 
at mosesmastering.com or the little handle Moses Mastering. Mm. I can be found at for the record mastering, you know, like for the little crispy or the silky smooth you want top of masters. People hire different people for different reasons. It's okay. It's great. And uh, so, at, at, uh, what is it? For the record mastering.com or at the little handle for the record mastering. Yeah. So that. I think concludes housekeeping. I feel like there was a lot of creepiness in there. And you know, a little bit. Whatever. Yeah, it felt a hair whatever. more creepy than fun to me, but that's just what <laughs> came out today. So, not redoing maybe it. instead of like the <laughs> maybe instead of the the happy go lucky music, you can play some Halloween music or something. Like some Scooby Doo <laughs> mystery music. Yeah, like the bongos when they run. <laughs> yeah, I think we both got that right. There you go. Okay. Glad <sighs> that's done, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might skip housekeeping next episode. I think that one's going to carry us over to episode 10. <laughs> it's memorable, at least. Yeah. Anywho. All right, friends. What do you do in your masters to get that little nice top end? Well, 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 well. I think in order... This is, by the way, with the creepiness that we just let in with... <laughs> Like in this title, like people are going to listen. Like this is going to be the episode people come and look for for the information that we're going to say. <laughs> and we just led them in with that creepy nonsense. Great. So if you made it this far, thank you. Okay, Sam, go ahead. God bless your, your soul. All right, monologue. Here we go. Lock in. <laughs> Pay attention, friends. If you want to know all about high frequency and top end, topless top end. Oh, gosh. Gosh. <laughs> Down, like, like Struggling we're here. at the bottom of the hill and we just found a shovel. <laughs> just found it. Anyway. Okay, so for me to talk about top end in mastering, it's really kind of, I approach it maybe similarly in how I'd approach any stage of the music process, but top end to me, there's all sorts of descriptive words, and I use top end um, only kind of in certain spots to um, make sure that the song is moving and grooving. So I kind of look at it this way. I will listen to a song, and if it needs top in, which most things do, honestly, because people like really bright things, which bright can really honestly be anything to me from like 2K to like 8K. Um, I would say that's like my bright range. And then within that, there's like sibilance in like the two to three to five K. There's harshness in like 4K. Uh, like edgy, sharp presence to me is like two to six K. Mm-hmm. Uh, and within that, too, though, I would say like there is a warm and sweetness top end within probably like the. 2.5 to 3 to the, I don't know, 7 or 8 range K. And that um, that is kind of the interesting thing with Toppin is sometimes Toppin can be really nice and sometimes it can be really harsh. And sometimes you need a sweet Toppin, but sometimes you need an edgy Toppin and they can almost land in the same frequency range, which is kind of interesting. And then what most people are probably familiar with, in my opinion, is like, the air, like that super extended top in air that everybody seems to talk about. I just want some air. And a lot of people think analog is like airy or something or like whatever. And that's probably, for me, my definition of air would be like 16K and above. A lot of like mastering air has like 25K 
or etc. I know like the Maggie Q has its own air band and that's like an ungodly top end. And it's actually gorgeous, but it's extremely high. And so that is kind of my like brain where my brain goes for top end. And with top end, when I'm using it, um, you for me, I have to place top end within some boundaries, within some context. So I usually will listen to where I want to put top end because I do a lot of automation and stuff when I master, which some people know and don't know. But I will often put more air or top end, usually probably in the choruses or the bridge, or I'll even automate it on the verses um, if they're if the verse is boring. But essentially, top end is only um, for me. Top end is all. Um, what's the word I want to say? It's kind of a moving target because it heavily deals with the contrast of the song for me. So cranking top end everywhere, in my opinion, when I'm working on things, makes nothing sound bright or, you know, present. If I'm cranking everything always that's brighter, if you're mixing a song and you crank 8K on everything, now everything is bright and your ears lose track of kind of where they are and everything sounds bright. If you've ever mixed or mastered a song for, you know, if you're mixing for multiple hours and you're at the end of your mix, a lot of people have the curse of going back and cranking up a top end shelf because now the mix sounds dull to them because mm. their ears have fatigued essentially or started to compress naturally. Even if you're not working at a super high like volume, your ears just naturally kind of get tired like your body does. And so a lot of people, uh, one of the biggest things I see is like almost an overuse of top end um, because I think a lot of people do that right at the end. They just crank it up and they think, oh, now it's brighter and more exciting. And they forget that they just made it sound thin and hollow. Um, that's that's a thing that happens a lot. So for me with Top End, it's all about contrast. So you can have something that appears really bright if the rest of the song is really dark. So in the choruses, if I boost something of like 4K or 5K, as opposed to like an air band, you know, 16 or 20, and the rest of the song is kind of dark, that 4 to 5K sounds really bright and sweet and warm, um, is how I would describe it without having to go up to those extreme highs. Because sometimes when I go to those extreme highs, uh, it brings out, uh, to me, artificial digital sounding top end. Um, especially mm -hmm. with certain people, or not certain people, but a lot of the in-the-box stuff um, sometimes carries with it 15K and above just kind of nasty artifacts or noise and cranking that uh, doesn't sound very pleasant. It sounds thin, cheap, it sounds digital, it sounds fake, it sounds like a, a fake excitement, and often it's very fatiguing, and it can really rob the track from having a lot of body and kind of filling out the speaker's feeling to me. So there are times where I will roll off um, top end at like 15K or 16K start to roll off, in order to remove some of that digital fakeness. And I might even do a little um, 
basically a little boost, kind of like a Pultec curve or something with the attenuation on the Pultec and remove 15 or something and above and it creates this little kind of shelf with a boost coming up to 15 then it rolls off and that uh, sounds really pleasant usually. There's a real art form in contrasting frequencies when you approach anything in music but for me specifically top end like removing some of the top end almost makes it feel brighter because your ear is now more focused on maybe the just start of the airy kind of extended top end of 15k 16k and that is kind of the magic to me when i'm approaching top end i am really constantly thinking about the context what does the song sound like and where is the energy need to be and then I'm thinking about the contrast of both of them. And this is kind of like the way I kind of think about top end is basically in order for something to sound bright and airy and exciting or have the sizzle, there's got to be parts in the song that are not that. And that's where I think a lot of people get confused with mastering. I feel like one of the cheapest first tricks a mastering engineer learns when they're first starting is go, oh, if I put a shelf on top end, <laughs> the song is better. It's mastered. The and, smile. Yeah, and that's like a curse of so many starting master engineers because they just think, well, I opened it up and now it's <clears throat> wider and now it feels brighter and more exciting. But often you have now neglected the mid and the low range and you know 75% of the, the song you've neglected and you've been tricked, you've been seduced by the temporary excitement of top end that often... Um, isn't the right choice for a song long term. So let's start there. Let me start there with um, my top end monologue one. I feel good about that. And I have some more things to say, but I want you to chime in. Yeah, sure. No, yeah. that was really good. <laughs> um, so one thing you said was actually my very first point is Ooh. that normally... and. Before I even go in to say this, I've said some things on the podcast and then people come to me and they're like, hey, I heard you say this on the podcast, so I didn't do it. And that's not the point of this podcast. The point, this podcast, no kidding, started many years ago with Sam and I just talking yes. for an hour or two every Wednesday and just kind of like virtually hanging out. Yes. And... We're like, we should put this in the form of a podcast. I bet people would like it. And look at y'all now. So <laughs> don't go and listen to us and alter, like, mix engineers and producers. Don't go alter your stuff per what we're saying right now. Yes, like, even in agreed. the Mastering Pet Peeves, don't worry about it. If you're doing it wrong, we're going to tell you to stop doing it. But if we haven't told you to change something, then you don't need to worry about it. Yeah. Um, so there's your disclaimer. <laughs> so with that said, touching on something that Sam said, uh, normally with top end, I'm given a little bit too much normally. And so I find myself a bit in the business of not necessarily always DSing, but trying to figure out a way of uh, interpreting the top end that I was given and then being like, okay, but what did they really mean to do? Like, mm -hmm. where are they actually trying to go with this? And most people, it's like, I get it, you're in the box and whatnot, but it's like, 
is that really the tone that you're going after or are you going after like something else? And it could be something that it's like, I don't really feel like fixing this in the box because, I mean, in the digital realm, you can just handle stuff so much faster if it is a DSing problem. And so if it's like the Weiss DSer, it, I think it's by SoftTube or Sound Toys. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Whoever whoever bought all that Thanks, stuff. SoftTube did. Um, the reason why I buy into that is because they're taking all of Daniel Weiss's or Vice, uh, all of his uh, AES like digital gear, and from what I understand, they're just kind of like taking the code from that that, that was coded onto that gear and making a plugin out of it. So as far as I'm concerned, that sounds pretty much like a one-to-one replica of the gear. And so I don't really know if a sound translates, but the functionality of at least the DSer is absolutely fantastic. I'm not talking like the white rectangle, um, like the piece of hardware that you see, but the thing that has like the waveform on it where it like ends at 2K and then you can adjust the two bands. Mm -hmm. One second. Um, that thing is awesome. And so you're able just to dial it in. So, And that's a super analog-y sounding de-esser. I really like it. And so maybe that's something that you need to use. And it's like, y'all know I'm a, a disgusting fanboy of Soothe and everything else that Oak Sound makes. Um, and Soothe has just been really nice. But as far as like the really, really top-end stuff, if you're going for stuff in the, uh, what's it called? I mean, it can, Soothe can do 6K, but like as soon as you get really beyond 6K, you you kind of got to search out for something else. It's like, it's really good for like the mids and yeah, you can get into the low mids and then the high mids. But as soon as you get like above that, and I, my guess is above 6K, it doesn't really move fast enough for you to do what you need to do. And you can have like a localized curve, sure, but... In my opinion, it does not move quick enough to do that. So that's me being critical of <laughs> one of my favorite companies. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm but to Oak Sound, do not change what you're doing. You you do a beautiful thing. So I just use a different tool. So I'll either use the Weiss DSer. I this is like the absolute last thing that I use is the I think it's called the Spectral Shaper on Ozone. Mm-hmm. And if you just have something that nothing else can get, chances are that thing can get it. Um, and if that thing can't get it, and it's like it doesn't in a not graceful way. So that's normally like the last result <laughs> or the last resort for me. Um, other things that I'll use, which are kind of fun. In the UAD Ampex plugin, you can open up how the, let's call it like the tape, quote unquote, is EQ'd. The tape machine is EQ'd. And so, like, you can dial out some of, like, you can dial in some of that roll off for like a little bit of a, ro- a lower, um, like, top end frequency. So it's like I might. It's like if, if stuff's like a little too bright on top and I need it like a little more gluey and stuff like that, it's like all those little boxes are checking that. It's like, yep, tape is the right, like a tape emulation is the right way to go. I pull up one of those and you can really easily um, dip one of those out. I mean, another great use, another great things. Um, I don't use multiband at all. I know, Sam, you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably the only mastering engineer who does not use multiband. Um, just for some reason, just with me, I just have problems dialing it in and I can just get, um, to me, better solutions quicker with other pieces. And so I just kind of don't touch that stuff. Um, 
I do love dynamic EQs. I think they're pretty cool. Um, on top end, they kind of work sometimes, sometimes not so much. Really just kind of depends on the EQ. My favorites are the one in Isotope and then the FabFilter Pro Q3. That guy is cool, but it can if you're doing a lot in there, it can get confusing quick because if you're doing like, okay, this one's on the side and this one's in the mid, and then this one we're going to do the full stereo band, it's like now you have like three different colors of three different bands you have to pay attention to that are in three different spaces. Oh, but wait, I hear this guitar on the left side that's a little bit crazy, so I'm going to pull this thing down. So now I have mid, side, full band, and then left. And it's just like, oh my gosh. So it's like you almost have to do separate instances. But um, that's that's my only complaint with that. But besides that, I absolutely love that EQ. Um, and then, let's see, as far as analog, I'm actually using the backs less and less. Hmm. And so I actually, but here's the weird thing. I like when it's inserted, but I don't do anything to it. It's really like I just like it better when it's inserted than when it is bypassed. And I have no idea why. If I have anything, so you were talking about little digital top end kind of kind of crunching in there. Um I am not educated enough to speak on aliasing. And I don't even know if I'm saying that word mm-hmm. correctly. Yeah, you are. Alias filtering. Um, an alias. Uh but and it kind of sounds like like you have like an alias, like another name. <laughs> right. Um I am not in the least educated enough to speak about that. Um, but what I do know is that it's like this little tiny digital noise that kind of like susses up your top end a little bit. And uh, it's not really a pretty sound. And so it's like the Bax has like a few filters. It's like, I think like the top one's like 71K. Yeah. And so it's like if you need to cut something out. But it like, since it's a Bax filter, uh, you can hear it down pretty low as far as that's concerned. So it's like whether or not you use that. Um, the Manly, it's like 12K, sound like a little shelf, sounds absolutely glorious. The Maslick, if you ever need something like smooth, silky, like the top end has to be there too. Um, if you ever need it like smooth, silky, and kind of wide, I'll throw that guy into mid side mode and then I'll just on the right channel, I'll switch it over to 9.7, 12, or 14, and I'll just give it like a half dB bump. And it's just like right channel only. And it's like, okay, yeah, choruses, we need to go a little bit wider. Like you were saying, Sam, okay, here's a little bump. Mm-hmm. And now we're wider and we're good because we just increased the level on the sides by 5.5. Um, and let's see. Neve doesn't really do too much on the top end. It can with red silk, but I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of like a jerk and I call that kind of like the poor man's top end. Yeah. Um and I think I call it that. Not that like don't like I'm not saying don't use it. I just used it a lot when I was getting started and so I just hear it on a lot of my old stuff and I wasn't probably using it correct and I just don't really care for how it sounds. And so I don't really recommend it. Um, I mean, every single day of the week, I'll recommend the foot control systems, their little compressor. You just like turn the gain knob a couple quick clicks just to kind of like drive whatever's after it in your chain. And it's just this like, this lovely top end that comes in. And I have no idea what it is or why it even, why it even exists. So, and then I have a few things that tame the top end a little bit. Another thing that no one talks about, 
That's fun. As if you have like a pair of transformers or something like that, and you can drive some signal into that. And it's like look up the um, look up the curves, uh, the frequency response curves if they're available. Normally, these transformers you're going to be buying are pretty darn old. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know. You, you can either have them just sitting on an insert. You can just have them in the chain, daisy chain somewhere, or you can have them say like in a little box that you um, are able to dial in the input and the output gain of these things and just so you can kind of get like a little bit of a tone. It's like I have a I have a few that I play with that um it's like just like a little bit of like mid top and it's it just like makes the vocal come forward in a little bit creamier of a way. Doesn't do too much to the top end, but if like because like it's a transformer, it's gonna have a natural roll off. Yeah. And so it's like if something sounds a little too digital, you insert it and it's like you almost have to like you almost think you're screwing with yourself that like nothing's really happening because it's so subtle. But it's like you A B it and you're like, Oh yeah, that that guy's there. And so if you ever want to hear the difference, you just print one with it and one without it. And uh the one with it, or I'm sorry, the one without it, I would still do a print just so you're kind of running through your chain or else you're going to have like the differences that your cables and stuff are going to put in. And then you just invert the phase on one of them and then whatever you're hearing left over, that's essentially what the transformers are doing. You, you just created a null test. So if you ever wanted to test anything, like I, I did that with a bunch of cables and created a null test to find out which cables I liked the best. And uh, But yeah, it's fun to do with transformers too. If you're like, oh yeah, I wonder what these transformers do. You pop them in. And you run a little test, you invert the phase, and you listen to both tracks at the same time with one of the tracks of the phase inverted, and there you go. It's going to sound a little weird and a little quiet, but whatever is playing is the difference between the two tracks. So, um, but yeah, normally I'm given a little bit too much. You know, to get back to my first point, <laughs> <laughs> normally I'm given a little bit too much top end, so I am doing what I can to make that pretty analog e or maybe even not like if it's just like super crisp and like like poppy it's like and sometimes it's perfect and sometimes the question is like how do i not screw this up because if i run it through say like the very mew because i want like the level i don't even want the compression it's like well i'm gonna get a little bit of woofiness and this pop song doesn't need the woofiness it's like okay well i'm not going to use that piece of gear what is the most quiet and like non like what's going to touch this music like in the top end the least because you get into pop songs like super clear top mm -hmm. then that's like really important stuff so sam should i let you talk for a little bit i think i should no i mean yeah if you want to whatever You're <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to let you talk for a little bit <laughs> so what uh like do you have any do you have any tricks that you do do you have anything that uh, you kind of let's okay. We won't say tricks. Do you have anything that you necessarily like lean heavily on that it's like I do this to kind of get like a certain tone? Also, yeah. Side note, yes. Would you consider yourself that people come to you for like a certain tone of things, or do you like to yeah. be kind of like backed off and transparent? I like to think that I'm like like you send your stuff to me. And you're just going to get like, I don't know. It's you're not you're not necessarily going after like a certain tone, but I don't yeah. know if that's like appealing to people, right? So I'm curious. Do you, one, yes. is there, are there certain tricks that you mm -hmm. lean mm -hmm. on 
to get the tone that you're going after on the top end. Let me write this down. And then Six. are people coming to you because of a certain tone or vibe or sound? It's a great question. Great, great question. Okay, well, let me just answer them. Let me answer those questions for you. I actually want to answer people coming to you because of a tone. Um, I used to think that I was pretty transparent, and I've learned I am not. So as much as I think maybe all of us, what I, this is my observation. I don't speak for you. My observation was people, as often we think we are very transparent at the mastering stage and that we try to not impose a, a tone or a sound or something. And regardless of us doing that, we all seem to have very natural tendencies on how we hear music or want to hear it or think we need to adjust things to call a record done for the end goal. So I very much, I mean, people describe my sound as like energetic, you know, larger than life, hyped, but hyped not meaning like hi-fi, just your song on steroids. I mean, I do a lot of top 40 type of music that is loud and proud and big. And it's not just a top end thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I bring energy and I make my mixers sound better. And that's why they like working with me. They sound like a better mixer. That's why the producers like me because their drums that they produce sound bigger. Their synths sound wider. You know, the artist likes me because their vocal sounds more glued in. The performance sounds more consistent. You know, so there's all those things that add up, and that's you know that's a a selling point of a mastering engineer. For those listening at home, if you're mastering, you make everyone sound better. Tell those tell your people that they'll probably like that as a selling point. If you don't do that, but I do have a tone and I do have a sound. Now that tone and sound changes based on the project. So like going through my whole catalog. There's a consistency within, I think, the artist, but there's not necessarily a consistency within the 2,000 selected songs that I have now in my discography, and then I have it broken up into genres as well on Spotify now. And so um, I think maybe genre to genre, when I listen through, there's a bit more consistency of how I approach things based on the client saying, you know, if it's this is going towards the radio market or we're going to send this to radio first, country radio or CCM. Country radio and CCM, which is Christian music, um, is very big on like radio promo. Like it lives and dies. Their music lives and dies very much on public radio still. Um, And so there is a certain sound that radio has, and this is kind of gets into the weeds of another episode maybe or a rant, Mm -hmm. but what you hear on the radio is not how the song sounds (laughs) usually. Not at all. (laughs) You're hearing a... A once uh, another compressed version of the song on top of maybe a lot of monoing so that the broadcast stays nice and clear for you. You know, there's a number of things that happen in broadcast processing um, that makes us then think that the song sounds a certain way. And so then we go to our mixer or whoever and say, I want it to sound like this, like the radio. And usually most of us, when we hear that, we go like, oh gosh, no, you don't. <laughs> like, We need to make it sound a different way so then that it does sound like it does on the radio. And that just comes from experience of working with other people who have had songs on the radio and then you get your own songs on the radio and you review them and mm-hmm. you go, this is how it sounds. Or, you know, sounds. And, I'm, and I will say, I think radio is still relevant. Um, whether or not it's the I largest so. audience, um, <clears throat> I see it all the time in Nashville. I mean, people 
care a ton about radio. Whether or not that's good or bad, that's still how the industry is. Like the most coveted thing is pretty much a number one in country music radio still. CCM mm-hmm. is is very similar. Um, you know, top 40 radio still matters. I mean, people care about charts um, in the industry. Once again, whether or not you care about that or think that's how it should be, I'm telling you the labels, managers, publishers, they really care about that. And they also care mm-hmm. about Spotify playlisting, uh, editorial playlists. So um, so that's a, that's a side rant. So anyway, people do come to me because of a sound. They come to me because of a tone. Um, I think part of my tone is a nice top end that is very full and pleasing and sweet uh, instead of a harsh, bright, kind of artificial sound. I don't do that very mm-hmm. well. I would honestly say... I don't either. Yeah, I would honestly say that, in my opinion, and, and this isn't a negative, but I would say the CCM-type music often sounds artificial. It sounds very perfected and programmed and cleaned, and it has a very distinct, especially in the snare cracks and the top end of the vocals and synths and guitars, has a very exciter plug-in sounding. I swear in my life, I mean, I'm, I know this from a bunch of CCM mixers, like Ozone is like kind of the sound of CCM, if I'm being honest. Like it's ex- the Ozone exciter, the maximizer um, that is heavily used in most CCM hits you hear. Um, and so that has a very specific type of top end. Now, you can make it sound pleasing still, and I'm not saying any of this in a negative way as if that's not how it should be done. That's just an observation of top end. That's kind of what that sounds like. And country really is more of like, for me, when I work on it, country is like a mid, mid-tone, heavy, muddy mess almost. <clears throat> and the top end on country, to me, rests way lower in like the 12K area to the 16. And there's, in my opinion, not a ton of air in country, um, top end extended air. Uh, I would say it's more rounded off and then it has kind of a, um, almost like a dull sound to it, top end, like a pleasing dull top end that's not super fatiguing outside of when you get like Which a- Which genre are you talking about? Country, yeah. Okay, I was writing a note and yeah. I Yeah, outside lost of- um, Certain when certain mixers pick up random singles for country people, um, you know, then maybe it, it'll have a more pop sound if that mixer is like a pop centered person. But most country really lives and dies within the mid range, the upper mid range, and the lower treble highs is kind of where their top end is, and that's like 16k and below to me. Now that doesn't mean there's not something that has some air to it, but that sonic you know, kind of curved to me is different. Then, you know, I have like rap stuff I do, pop stuff, which is really kind of heavy bass, heavy top end cranked, um, you know, all the way up into those air bands. And that's just kind of the sound that everybody likes right now. Um, so yeah, people come to me because of that. They come to me because I, what I just said, I understand how things sound, which is probably our, once again, one of our main jobs as master engineers, you need to know what finished records sound like and you need to know the what the medium sound like that they go to you need to know what mixes sound like and how you get them to a finished record sound so um that's a little sales pitch maybe again i feel like i'm just selling myself right now but this is how <laughs> i approach music um tricks to my top end yeah i have tricks to my top end um i am big on 
harmonics. So I like outboard gear harmonics. I like tubes. And I have found that I create a lot of nice top end by actually creating harmonics lower down in the frequency range. Mm -hmm. Because your mid-range and your upper bass and your low bass and all that area has so much yummy top end in it. You just don't always hear it. And this is where saturation and basically it's just distortion. We're talking about distortion in theory. Extended frequency harmonics off the original root note or root sound in the lows to mid-range. For me, mid-range goes like all the way up, honestly, to probably about 2K or something. Um, mm. And then I would call like upper mid-range or something around that. And this is honestly, I kind of base this around like SSL channel strips. It's just kind of, I learned on when I used, back in the engineer SSLs were like my board I worked on. So um, anyway, side note. But yeah, I find that I create a really nice top end actually by working on the mid-range and the lows appropriately, getting those sitting correctly, maybe fattening them up with some harmonics or with some saturation, and then the top end kind of fills itself out and to me becomes more warm and kind of blooming is the word we've used before for tubes, and I think JJP says the word bloom for tubes as well. It's probably where I stole it from a long time ago, maybe, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but yeah, I, I get top end, uh, fatness almost, or top end smoothness by starting lower in the frequency range. And I think that's often, uh, neglected, misunderstood, and people think, well, I just, if I want a nice top end, I should add like a, a wide cue from 2K to 15 or something to just boost it and make it kind of edgy and present. <laughs> and sometimes that works, but I've found when you do that, unless a song really needs it, if it's just like over-the-top bassy and whatnot, because um, I'm a booster, not a cutter, um, then I would do that. But I find when most people go to that, um, the mix, you know, and at the mastering stage, it gets kind of thin and harsh-sounding. And within that range, when I'm working on top end, I mean, my trick I kind of think about is, um, you know, what am I going for here? When I'm listening for top end, I'm thinking, am I going for like tangibility versus air versus is this harsh? Do I need to create presence or edginess? Like tangibility to me is kind of like, does it feel like the mix is kind of a hot mess and there's not much separation going on and there needs to be? Is there tangibility in the song? If I need to add tangibility, then I might boost something in that 2K to 16K area because that kind of just lifts everything. Now, some people might say maybe you should scoop, you know, mid-range nasal boxiness, you know, from 200 to 1K, wherever you find that boxiness. That can sometimes, if you reduce that, then it opens things up. But I don't like reducing things. Like I say, I boost, boost till my problems go away. <laughs> so it's just a personal approach. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just my tone, if you want to say. Um, but yeah, I'm constantly, once again, kind of circling back to my first monologue almost of I'm listening to the context. Where are we in the song? What is the song doing and what does it need to do to be finished? Does it need tangibility? Does it need air? Air for me is very much an excitement sound, uh, in my opinion. It's not a harsh sound. It's not a uh, hard, cold sound. It's not even what I would call bright 
Um, mm. Air to me lives above brightness. Air is this almost supersonic feeling, much like low end is. You know, people say like you can't hear above twenty. Uh, you know, twenty to twenty is basically the human hearing. But that doesn't mean you can't feel things. That doesn't mean sound waves don't impact you. Like we know, um, this isn't to get at all conspiracy theory, but we know like Wi-Fi and microwaves and things that emit frequencies that we don't hear, they're still in in the air, you know, like that's how we get radio. <laughs> that's how we, different things have frequency and they're always traveling everywhere and we don't hear them necessarily. But on some impact, you know, they are impacting us physically on some level. Um, so there is to me some um, value in, you know, when you look at a mastering EQ and it's got a 25K boost, you may think, well, there's nothing up there. But most of the time, too, those boosts are kind of sloping, so it'll slope down into 20 and 18 and 15 and 16 and so forth unless you really crank it to a to a narrow cue. Um, so as far as air goes, uh, a lot of people, that's for me like kind of a sparkly sound. Um, it's very almost felt more than heard, which is one of my worst. I loathe when... Um, I get sometimes, <laughs> I don't want to say that. I don't like the phrase felt more than heard, but I know exactly what it means. <laughs> and it's often amb ambiguous, but it's a real thing to feel something more than hear it. Because when you mute it or take it out, it feels like the song kind of falls apart. That's what air is to me. Air is kind of a make or break. Now, you can crank air and it feel terrible as well. So air is not something I always go to, but in a lot of... Um, I think people associate air almost with like old time good analog, like vinyl. And I know vinyl used to cut on all sorts of big boosts of top end and then drastic filtering, um, depending. And sometimes that's how, you know, old vinyl, good vinyl, not, not the idea that vinyl is cracky and wobbly. That's bad vinyl <laughs> to me. But that's what like every vinyl plugin out there is, is misleading people, in my opinion. But, Good vinyl, like Steely Dan Asia, like that record, the top end on that record is insane. And when I, I have it on vinyl, I have it digitally, it's it's actually pretty rolled off. It kind of does this like up to 16, 17K and then filters off. Um, and it's almost like the appearance of air, but it's not quite cranked at like 25K. It's sloping into those frequencies as opposed to boosting on those frequencies, which that is a trick. Hi, one of my tricks. <laughs> if I want to get air, I don't often boost at 25. I'll boost at 18 and slope into the air on a downward, the downward side of it, because I find that to be smoother. Um, I'll often do that for low end too. If I want more 65 hertz, I'll boost at 30, 30-ish and let it slope into 65. I find that to be a lot smoother, harmonically rich, as opposed to just going to 65 and boosting right on 65. Um, that's a little trick I do. So, those are kind of my approaches. Tricks to top in plugins I like, and gear. I mean, gear, the Poltex I have, great. Mass Passive, great. Overstayer top in, the harmonics on there, great. Tubes, great. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of outboard gear has great top end to me. Um, it's hard to kind of... I don't know. At least like top end options. <laughs> yeah, like most of the top end options on pretty good analog gear sound 
pretty fantastic compared to plugins most of the time. But plugins are pretty great too. Like one of my favorite top end things, if I'm wanting top end, is still in the Oxford <coughs> limiter with the enhance button, the X fade or whatever it's called, X enhance. And that little dial is just harmonics, but it's more so mid top range oriented. And that thing can put a vocal, you know, make a vocal be very tangible. When I was talking about tangibility, if I feel like a vocal is tucked too much or something, I pull the Oxford inflator limiter or the Oxford limiter, mm-hmm. sorry. I don't even use it as a limiter. I just use that little fader to increase the harmonics of the mid-range, upper mid-range to lower highs. And the brightness that is created creates like a tangibility that's absolutely gorgeous sometimes um, for vocals and kind of making that vocal just sit right there. So I like that a lot. Um, Honestly, I really like Waves Renaissance uh, EQ, the REQ6, I think is what it's called. And that was actually created by the guy who helped create the Massive Passive um, a long time ago. Super old plugin, but he wanted to create something that kind of replicated a Massive Passive slash Pultec. And that's kind of how that EQ sounds to me. Uh, it has very nice top end. And I also really like... Um, well, I don't know. Those are kind of it. <laughs> you know, it's just a basic EQ and then a, a harmonic thing, which plays off my whole focus on harmonics. So those are kind of my tricks. I mean, if you want, if you want really good top end, like I would start with a filter on the top end, really high up with a little resonant peak coming off it. If you don't know what these terms are, go Google it. It'll be good for you anyway to learn them yourself. And just kind of work your way down, and you're going to hear the song kind of thicken up and clear up to almost where it probably sounds more clear, even though you're removing top end. Um, That's what I find to kind of be a good place to start. And then you also start to understand and hear what top end is doing. I think that's where a lot of people fail, is they they think top end is like 2K and beyond, and that's such a massive amount of frequency we're talking about. And like yeah. top end, in theory, I mean, I would just call that upper mids to low, low treble or low highs to extreme high, you know, and then top end extended air. There's just so much that goes on in there. And unless you spend time and you can do it at home, just boost 2K and then boost, you know, 2100 and 23, like, and write notes. I mean, that's what I always tell people, write notes. What do you hear? What does it feel like? Is it cutting? Is it edgy? Is it harsh? Is it bright? Is it nice? Is it sweet? Is it dull? Is it warm? All those things, um, you can start making a mental tool belt in your head um, to then you know what to do when you need to, you know, address top end in a master or mix or a source. So I see I've created quite the long brick here. And you asked the two questions. I gave you two monologues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. And I think, honestly, that's probably, in my mind, the amount I need to talk about top end, unless you have more specifics. <clears throat> well, let me get a drink of water. <laughs> you need to fuel up here. Yeah. No, not that, that much. Um, I would say, first things first, um, if you're a mastering engineer, um, you need to approach this from a very realistic point as far as like expectations are concerned. And 
sometimes and like eventually you do this long enough that you're just like I know that this can go this far. And then sometimes it's like you listen to the reference and you listen to the mix and you're like there's no way in hell. Yeah. This is going to happen. And sometimes you just take it as far as you can go and other times uh if like the client's really dead set on that top end then you may need to have a conversation with them and be like, just so you know, I don't really think it's realistic that this is going to get here. And I've had a few of those conversations, and not necessarily about top end, but it's like somebody wanting something super loud, and it's like they're like one of their references is like screaming loud, and then another one is kind of like not. And it's like, okay, well, I think that we're going to be closer to this reference than this reference. So just so that you are kind of weighing your expectations appropriately. Um, so all of this comes down to a good source. So I guess we'll start with the producer. Don't say, oh, we'll fix it in the mix. And your mix engineers don't say, oh, we'll fix it in mastering. Because the the way to solve all of these problems is by capturing a good sounding source, right. first and foremost. Um like just a few piggybacking notes onto what you said, Sam, because I really think you covered the majority of it. Um, I thought it was kind of funny that you said that a lot of CCM is that uh, ozone maximizer. <laughs> and one of the things that I do in anything that's like CCM or kind of like that whole like vibe, and it's funny because like, like as far as genres go, it's like if you take the words out of something, you just listen to the instrumentals. Nine times out of ten, I could pick out a CCM instrumental right. over like a competing semi-like genre, and it's like you can just tell what CCM is. Um, so, with the ozone maximizer top end, I actually if it's like. I'll pull up ozone and it's like I I'll normally like I'll have like the inf the inflators on freaking everything I do. And so it's like it's one of the first things I do like after a print and for some reason it just brings things together in just such a nice way harmonically that nothing else can do. And so it's like if anyone wants like a whole thing on like like this is like luffs and all that that stuff aside if anyone wants uh a little bit of ear candy outside of like I don't know normal things and if you want to increase the once again luffs aside if you want to increase the perceived loudness not metered just the way that it sounds to you look into a little bit of uh, harmonic let's call it enhancers and the Oxford inflator is pretty darn nice um and I, like I said in the last episode or whenever I said it, I don't really read the manuals. I just kind of guess how it works, and I just kind of dial it in by ear. And I really like how it works. I believe that there's like like one one of the things is your gain, and then one of the things is your... I never do anything with the input and output. I don't know if you do, Sam. Um, I only use that center batch, and it's like you have like the the gain for like the whole like enhanced curve and then you have like the enhanced curve and like where it's sitting and I believe you're just kind of like it's kind of like a little fixed cue that you're just kind of like enhancing mm -hmm. a little bit of like you're just kind of bringing out a little bit of like harmonic um, detail uh, in that frequency range that you're kind of allotting for 
And so it's like, I'll do that. And then like on the back end after that, I'll pull out the ozone maximizer and I'll like figure out what character I like the best and everything, set my release time and all that junk. And then it's like just to get that top end that you were talking about, I'll maybe just like bring it down by like minus one or minus two. And it's like the like the ozone, like not not the ozone, the Oxford inflator. I'm clipping the heck out of that plug and like the red light's on. <laughs> and then I'm going into ozone and the maximizer's catching it. So it's like, okay, cool. You're not clipping my channel strip. And it's like, I believe the inflator is also a clipper. So it's okay to clip it. And so um, I don't use it as a clipper, but it does clip and it doesn't sound bad. So I was like, all right, here we go. And so the maximizer catches all those clips. Well, it's like, well, now I'm taking off of that and I'm getting this free top end. And then if you want that top end even further, there's like that far slider that's like a little bit like dynamic perception, whatever it's called, or dynamic enhancement. Mm -hmm. And it's like if you ever get something that's like squashed to oblivion and you just need to bring a little bit back without having to go into like master rebalance and it's like 0.1 on the drums. Um, That's a fun trick too, (laughs) by the way. Uh, Like if you squash the heck out of the drums and like... Yeah, you need the drums to be there. You just point one or point two on the mastery balance, and you're good to go. Ah, oh, like all oh, drums all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, the little dynamic enhancement, you dial that thing up to like 60 or 80 or something like that, and now you kind of get like a little bit of top end, and you get like, like, I don't know how it does it, but it sounds like it's a little more like transient information. So that's fun. The Oxford limiter that you were talking about, I don't use too much, but it's one of those like you have it. So like if you buy the inflator, you got to buy the limiter. And if you're like me, you won't really use the limiter until you're like, I think I need the limiter for this. And so you pull that guy out and you're all you're all good to go. Sam also recently got me into printing my mixes with or not printing, but the my mixes. Uh uh, bouncing the masters with the FabFilter Pro L2, but doing it in the 16 times over sample. Yes. Which, oh my, like, dude, I was I was so against that. Like, I would go two or four, and I'd be like, cool, there's like a little bit of like, uh, like tan, like not tangibility, but like, it was like a little bit more like understandable about like what was happening in the mix, even though we're like, or the master, even though we're like playing with the, the limiter. And the 16, man, if there's just like, and the project I was working on just had a, like a, a decent amount of like aliasing in it. And I was like, man, I wish I could just get this to smooth out. And the backs just took off too much. It's like I was telling you, like I'm thinking about getting, oh, did I say it when we were recording or not that I was phasing out the backs a little bit? Uh, I can't remember. I either said yeah. it before recording yeah. or Yeah, you did in this one. It could be right now. I don't know. <laughs> Any, like th- this this phone call that Sam and I are on, it's like two hours and eleven minutes right now. So I really don't know. Like we've said a lot whether of words. To scratch my watch or wind my ass. So anyway, um, yeah, the sixteen times just if you just have like a bit of aliasing in the thing, even though it's pretty taxing on the CPU, it is just it is nice. So that's a nice little top end trick as well. Also, go back and listen to the episode before us on attack and release times, and that can really affect your top end and how you're kind of staging your limiters and your compressors and all that stuff and what it's grabbing. So you should check that episode out too. Anyway, Sam, I think I'm about to call it. Call it. You good? Yep. Okay. So if you've made it this far, thank you. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, if you like what you heard, 
drop us a comment, like, subscribe, share with a friend. That would be wonderful. Um, if you think we missed something, Sam and I always love when like people reach out to us and it's like, as long as you're not like a jerk about it, it's like, hey, this is how I do it. Or, hey, no, this is not the right way. Or you didn't pronounce aliasing right <laughs> the fourth time you pronounced it today. Or, hey, I'd like to give you a lesson on aliasing. So that would be handy. We always, we, we always like that stuff. Um, so, but yeah, like, comment, review. Reviews are so awesome. So thank you all so much for uh, those of you who do it. If you don't, if you wouldn't mind just taking 30 seconds after this episode and going and doing that, that would be great. But queuing up from the nethers of the podcast is a sweet beat from Sam at beesabeats.com. If you need a sweet beat, this is, I believe, the 89th beat that Sam has made for this podcast, which is mind-blowing. And who knows what it sounds like? I don't know what it sounds like. I'm just kind of speaking into a microphone and not even hearing it. But I bet it sounds incredible. <laughs> so, and I bet the top end on it, like, you can, you can just kind of like hear it just like, yeah, just silking into the distance. It's like swimming in cream. You got your work cut out for you. No, swimming you in cream. I bet you're pretty, yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty good at this. You're good to go. So, anywho. Um, I think that's all I got. You got anything, Sam? No, I feel great. It's a great episode. Cool. Fun episode. I liked it. Started a little creepy. Yeah, a little but creepy. If you made it to the end. Good for you. <laughs> Good job, champ. <laughs> all right. Morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having. Have a darn good one, Sam. Mark. Cue the music. Hearing. See y'all. Bye.